This is Bad Movies We Love, part of the Scheiss Podcast Network. Hello, Bad Movie Lovers. I am your host, Nick Scheist, and thankfully my voice has started to recover. But before we get on with this episode, I am going to use that voice to acknowledge all the listeners out there who contributed to July being the most listened to month of the show so far, and that's even with me taking a week off. I'm not big on self-promotion, shameless or otherwise, so that means that July has been the most successful month of the show so far because of you, the listeners, spreading the show via word of mouth. As you know, I believe that is the best way to help, so I just want to extend a sincere and heartfelt thank you to all of you who have supported this show and helped it grow by listening and enjoying it enough to tell somebody about it. Now that that is out of the way, we've got a great episode lined up for you today as my friend Shauna from Film Club and Sparky About Movies on YouTube joins me to talk about Paul W.S. Anderson's 2002 video game adaptation, Resident Evil. Critics obviously thought very uh, poorly of this. Ugh, you really gotta talk about this film. They get in over their head, they don't know what a zombie is. It's one of those films you can just stick on and just watch, and you don't have to take it seriously or anything. Okay, I'm not asking questions about that guy. He's got no skin on. What are these people? Bargain store Hugh Jackman. Uh, You know, I want to kill everybody. It kind of feels more ahead of its time. Why did you get all excited and jump over the handrail if you're just going to back down to begin with? Well, good evening, Shauna. Morning for me, evening for you. It's good to see you again. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you were on my other show a couple weeks ago, and uh, it's maybe like a month ago now. Um, but this is the first time you're gonna come on and do bad movies we love. And you brought to the table a movie that, I mean, I have a particular affinity for because of my connection to the video game series. Uh, but that movie is the first Resident Evil, two thousand two. So, hello, and uh, hello. If you had to give the audience a sort of Cliff Notes version of why you think it is that people think this is a bad movie, what is that reason? Well, I think people particularly show this movie a little bit of hate is because it doesn't really follow the games as such. I guess it's it's its own kind of film and it does its own kind of thing as it goes onwards throughout the whole series. So I think people probably would have preferred to see a lot more of the game characters in this film or, you know, to follow the gameplay a lot better. I think that's why a lot of people hate it. 
as well as the CGI isn't that great in it. But for a 2000s film, I think it does really well. And I think it still upholds today as a, as a decent zombie flick. Okay, and you had mentioned to me that you've seen this movie a thousand times. But what was it about like this movie that made you want to bring it uh, to this show? Because it's just one of those films that kind of gets like that head shake from people. You know, like, ugh, you're really going to talk about this film. It's like, yes, because it's great. It's so great. There's so much action in it. There's so much like zombies. It's so cool. And I think people look at it as if it's just, you know, a regular film. It's not really anything to be excited about. But I want to talk about it because I, I think it deserves to be recognised as a, a good film. It references so much of the older zombie films and it just works as today's film as well, as it did back then. And I think people just kind of don't recognise how good it is. So that's why I kind of want to talk about it. Hey, fair enough. I mean, it has a decent user rating you know imdb has got almost three hundred thousand reviews and it's holding on to 6.6 which is solid you know not not earth shattering or anything but well within the wheelhouse of movies where i would say i wouldn't be scared away by it having a 6.6 out of 10 like i start to do the cutoff Mm -hmm. much further down than that i think six is a pretty reasonably good score on that user rating scale uh but it also has similarly a 67 percent rotten tomato score but 35 percent tomato meter 33 percent meta score so the critics obviously thought very uh poorly of this and uh roger ebert notoriously hated this movie and basically gave away the entire film in his review just out of Uh, spite because he did not like the experience Uh, and we'll look at a little bit of Ebert's review later when we go to Critics Corner but you know I I hadn't seen this movie probably in at least 15 years Uh, I had played the games on PlayStation Uh, it was like a game that I would go to Blockbuster and rent and just like okay I didn't beat it in those three days I'm gonna rent it again and then play it again until I beat it and This movie is very much, like you said, uh, detached from the games in that it doesn't adhere to the story. It doesn't really follow the characters at all, at least not uh, in this particular film. Some of the other video game characters start to get folded in after the events of this first film. But I I guess I watched it differently, you know, because going into it as a fan of the games, I was already going to see it regardless. So I had to at least check it out when I was in high school. And even though it didn't follow the beats of the games that I was hoping it would, uh, it still like created its own identity within the Resident Evil universe. And it just it did its own thing. And I always had a good time with it. And I liked it uh, enough to watch it probably several times between the time that it came out and you know the next like four or five years while it was on cable but it's been at least probably 15 years since i've seen this and i viewed it a lot differently this time and you know i've 
I've been writing about films now for like six, seven years. You know, I have a podcast on movies. So it's like I I sort of like flex a different muscle when watching things now. It's a very different like analytical part of my brain that watches things. And so it's like sometimes I'm plugged into that. Sometimes I'm not. It It just depends on how I'm feeling that day and like how into something I'm going to get or how critical I'm going to be or whether or not I can just kick my feet up and relax and have like good dumb fun and I think this movie sort of lands in the dumb fun category but I also looked at it this time much more in terms of none of the Resident Evil stuff but specifically the sort of contagion aspect the viral outbreak like after after COVID and watching this and seeing that like oh here's a chemical lab that is working on some gnarly disease that just oh it gets out somehow because you know somebody didn't do something <laughs> right or maybe it was sabotage and then on top of that oh there's also like an artificial intelligence that's running amok and totally killing people and we're at a point right now where serious questions are being raised about whether or not artificial intelligence is going to start to take over a lot of things so seeing that this movie's you know over 20 years old now i thought it did mm -hmm. a, yes. a fairly good job of looking at like real sci-fi-ish type problems but it also leaves a lot of that yeah. like fairly early on in the film like we see the the sort of outbreak happen we sort of learn about the ai doing what it does and this is all in the first half an hour so the, the story's not really about those two things as much as it is just hey this is an action film where there's going to be zombies and stuff uh but i like that those things were sort of folded in there as layers to this story and i don't know that i like ever thought of it quite that way up until now how about you yeah, it's it kind of feels more ahead of its time. It it feels more future telling the future. That's what I kind of got from it as well. Like how it pinpoints how the AI can work. You know, like what kind of happens in labs, or you don't know like what people are kind of working on, or know what goes on behind the scenes. Like as Alice is a person who's trying to stop the virus outbreak, or stop them from working on what they were what they're doing so yeah i kind of agree with what you just said there yeah and i'm as i'm thinking of it now like one of the main reasons that i always liked the series uh of video games is that it treated umbrella you know well what i will say is that umbrella in the game <laughs> is big pharma it's you know pfizer it's one of these big pharmaceutical companies that is profit-based and that makes decisions that hurt a lot of people but it also is under the guise of like oh umbrella's got the new antidepressant that's going to make you feel good so underneath all that they're working on special military contracts and they're doing all this shady stuff and then also in the last like five to ten years in the u.s we've seen what's happened with big pharma companies pumping out opioids and creating this huge like dependency problem around the country so I'd, I'd love that the game was willing to sort of give texture to the idea that uh this big 
corporate entity that is sort of like shiny and happy and clean on the outside can be doing all this like horribly dirty stuff under the surface. And I should tell you, like right here, you see, I have my umbrella corporation tattoo, which I don't know why, like in hindsight, like umbrella corporation is the bad guy, but you know, in the fictional world of this video game series, like they do have the fun characters. So, but yeah, I got that a while ago, but that's how much I love resident evil is that I have the logo of the evil corporation tattooed. (laughs) Yeah. And I will be honest, I've never actually played much of the games, but um, I I'm just a fan of the film series in general. I just love how the films take on the, the story and how they've, just, you know, told it their own way. And I just find the series pretty fun and enjoyable. That's why Resident Evil sticks out to me. It's one of those films you can just stick on and just watch and you don't have to take it seriously or anything. Just have a fun time with it. Like you said, a dumb fun time. Yeah, I don't know that I ever completed the whole franchise because... After the first one, they sort of begin to meld together, whereas like they're all much more action forward than the first one. Uh, Alice is like developing her superpowers and, Mm -hmm. you know, it goes from what apocalypse, extinction, afterlife, retribution, final chapter. So like I may have not even seen the final chapter. I think I have because I'm a completist and I like the series enough to just get it there but i would have to go back and watch it to confirm that oh yes this is what happened because i know like okay we start to realize that alice is like very much super powered she's you know her and wesker are fighting in some of the later movies and i don't know the exact details it's all a little fuzzy but i never watched any of them as much as i watched the original because i was like I, i felt like the original despite it not necessarily being connected to the game or having uh, any of the characters I'm familiar with, it still was its own thing that I was uh, happy to enjoy as its own thing. But it did get me wondering, like, why has nobody been able to just take the game, which is very cinematic, and just turn that into a movie? Like, you could just play the game, write the script straight from the game, and have like a good zombie action flick that is still pretty scary. Uh, And I just, I don't understand why that has been such a hurdle when it just seems like such an easy thing to do. And as a fan of the series of games, I want to see that movie. I would definitely watch that movie if you just said it in the mansion and you have the the elite like SWAT team come in and try to deal with the problem they don't know is zombies at the time. And so it's like, there's a little bit of that here. You do get the SWAT team that goes down there. These guys all work for umbrella though. And you know, they get in over their head. They don't know what a zombie is. Like they don't know any of this stuff, even though they work for the company that is making the thing that they're going in there to deal with. They're like, Oh yeah, we, we, <laughs> we don't know. Um, But then somehow both, both Alice and Spence know what's going on in there. They both know about the T-virus. They both have separate plans in place to steal it. So the fact that like all these guys come in uh, to be like the containment team and they have no idea what they're getting into, just, uh, you know, it's a, li- it's a little uh, suspicious. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just a smidge. 
<laughs> I find it funny as well how they don't use the term zombie in the film at all. They call them things or like they know that they reanimate and they are the dead, but they never use the term zombies. And I find that kind of bizarre because that would be the first thing that I would call them, you know, but it's never used. They never refer to them as anything other than dead people who can walk. They just sound so confused about it all. Yet they work for Umbrella and they know like, they know everything, but yet that part's so confusing to them. Like, what are these people? Or what are these things? There is definitely a lot of miscommunication going on between the higher-ups at Umbrella and the people on the ground, and the Red Queen, and we'll we'll get to that. But right now, I want to watch the trailer, and I want to take a look at uh, kind of what this what this movie was telling us it wanted to be uh, back in two thousand and two. Before we get to the trailer, it's time for a quick word from our sponsor. Have you ever been watching a movie and said to yourself, "Wow, I'm way too dumb to explain what I'm seeing"? Well. That's a thing of the past with new fast-dissolving expository suppositories from the Umbrella Corporation. All it takes is a little push, and you'll be over-explaining even the simplest of concepts, interjecting whether someone asked you to or not. Your comfort is key, so each capsule design combines the benefits of the bullet and teardrop shapes and comes pre-lubricated for quick and easy deployment. In fact, it slides so effortlessly up your butt that you'll hardly even know it's there. And once it's in there, it wastes no time getting down to business. So, what have you got to lose? Your leisure is their pleasure. So make sure to check out the huge selection of suppository supplements from the Umbrella Corporation today. And now, back to the show. All right, let's rock and roll. Deep underground. In a top secret research lab, security has been breached. A deadly virus, capable of contaminating the entire world, has been released. Oh my god. We have to get out of this building! Who's that? It's the brakes! Okay, we're here to help. Now, an elite team has been sent in to stop it. Five hours ago, Red Queen went homicidal. Who's the Red Queen? State-of-the-art artificial intelligence. The corporation's keeping a few secrets down here. Uh, they're really explaining they a lot. have only three hours left before <laughs> it begins infecting and mutating the whole human race. It's like, just in case you have no idea what the Resident Evil video game series is. Out. Don't listen to anything she says. She's a holographic representation of the Red Queen. Maybe our only way out of here. The music is so cool. Oh, she's still standing. She isn't standing now. Well, you got one-liners, zombies, explosions. You're all going to die down here. And then finishes with the iconic line. <laughs> yeah, I actually like the the Red Queen story more 
than it actually exists in the film. Like the idea that, you know, that there's a killer AI on the loose that they need to shut down, but also work with uh, to get out. I'd, I'd like that sort of like the way that they have to bargain with the Red Queen. But then even though they're like, OK, well, we'll we'll just set off this uh, EMP charge and we'll fry your circuits if you betray us. It's like, oh, she was betraying them the entire time she's working with them, because I guess this is just the AI that like has no self-preservation instincts. And it's just like, no, mm -hmm. you know, I, I want to kill everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what happens. I mean, first, there is there's the outbreak, right? All right? So we'll talk about it now because I was trying to figure out like how does Umbrella like does Umbrella really not know what happened, or are they just withholding that information from the people that they're sending in? Because if you have uh an advanced computer system that's monitoring this underground lab, the computer system recognizes that, oh hey, there's a virus outbreak. I have to lock down the lab and kill everybody so that we don't have, you know, zombies everywhere or you can't let the virus leave because obviously killing everybody didn't stop them from turning into zombies. They still were all zombies. So if the plan was to not yeah. let the disease spread, uh, it only it only worked so much, but at least it didn't leave the hive area. But Umbrella should know this information. Like, even if there's an AI controlling it, they should still, like, have records of, oh, the AI detected that there was a chemical leak and that there's a strand of the T-virus. And so it initiated lockdown procedures. But when the the crew gets there, the Umbrella mercenaries, they know that 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 thing was triggered, but they don't know why. They don't know what they're getting into. They don't know. Uh, they don't seem to have any knowledge of, like, a zombie. Right. So it's just there's a lot of one hand not watching what the other hand is doing. And I guess in hindsight, like a big corporate entity like Umbrella that is very shady and doing a bunch of dirty things probably wouldn't tell their military staff like, hey, there's there's company secrets that are down here. We need you to just go in here and disable the computer we don't need you like asking questions or anything like that. Just go in there guns blazing and, you know, shoot first, ask questions later kind of thing. Yeah. Well, they kind of used that team um, as expendable, didn't they, really? Just to go in there, just do what we need to do. It doesn't matter if you die down there. Um, and if, like, at the towards the end of the film, let's kind of like skip it just a little bit further. That's okay. The, the team... The, the doctors and things come in, don't they, and take Matt away, and they want to put they want to put him in a nemesis program. So it's kind of like the whole scenario of the virus where it's on a need to know basis to who is actually important. So like Wesker and everybody who you know created it, and then obviously the scientists who they probably want to keep so they can keep the virus under control or anything. So the military are just basically expendable as well as the human race. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Umbrella's definitely evil. And so they sort of, you know, they, they put their own people in harm's way. But then they also have both Alice and Spence, who both work for Umbrella, but also are like, we're not interested in being part of this because like Spence wants to do his own thing. He wants to 
steal the virus and sell it on the black market and just take the money and live happily ever with Alice. Alice wants to steal the virus and give it to this other lady who's a reporter who also happens to be Matt's sister. So she wants to do something, uh, I don't know, semi-altruistic, but the house sort of, uh, what is it? It gasses them with like a nerve agent that makes them have temporary amnesia. Yeah. yeah. And so like, I'm sort of thinking mm-hmm. like, why, why make the choice creatively to give these characters amnesia? And then as we get into it, we see that like this movie has a lot of exposition. You have a bunch of different characters that are just like, this is exactly what's going on. And this is this is what you need to know. And so I started to I hadn't seen it in so long. I was like. So she works for Umbrella. She gets gassed and then she's like slowly regaining her memory throughout the course of this. But it doesn't ever really. Like, does anything she remembers actually make a difference? Because she starts having flashbacks of like her and Spence together. She recognizes that uh, she was working against Umbrella and she acknowledges to Matt that, hey, I was the one who was your sister's contact and I was the one who was going to steal the virus for her. But aside from that, like, I don't know, it's like this weird thing of you take who this character was, then you remove their memory and you put them in a situation where they're regaining their memory while also having to make certain decisions. And it's like, is their character changing? Right. Because we see with Spence, mm-hmm. like he gets gas, he doesn't remember anything, but then like he wakes up and he's like, Oh, that's right. I'm the bad guy. And so it's, it's a little bit different curve between the two. And so maybe that's why the flashbacks are there to show that Alice was having like reservations about working for umbrella in the first place. But it does it mm-hmm. it opens the door for a lot of character like just explanation you have several characters and including matt who i just i didn't know his name through the movie for some reason so i just referred to him as blue collar he would just all of a sudden like <laughs> something's happening and he just leans into the frame he's like oh well yeah her blood wouldn't coagulate until she's dead and it's like oh okay well are you a doctor like what do you no you're like, like a police or are officer. you a cop yeah. Yeah, because he was supposed to be a cop that transfers, but yet how how does he know this about the blood and stuff there? Yeah. yeah. yeah he, I don't know. He just shows up at the right time with the right answer when it's needed. Uh so that like that happens a yeah. lot. The guy who's the leader of the umbrella uh SEAL team or whatever, he explains a lot about what's going on. And there was a lot of guys like basically this the number two umbrella guy, like the tech guy who survives that looks like Treat Williams. So he looks like a younger version of Treat Williams. Yeah. And then the yeah. other guy who was Spence, I, you know, he's been in quite a few things, but I, I just sort of was like, I'm not ready to look this up right now. So I just called him a uh, bargain store, Hugh Jackman. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could think of off the top of my head. I was yeah. like, I know this guy's been in a lot of things, but I don't know his name off the top of my head. So he's just going to be, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman for now. James Purefoy, sorry. That that's the yes. actor's name. Uh yes. But yeah, been in a lot of stuff. Even famous basically before Hugh Jackman, although X-Men was kind of around the same time as this, 2000, 2001. So mm-hmm. that that rugged kind of like scruffy look was, I guess, getting very popular. Um <laughs> just a bit. <laughs> yeah. 
but but even the movie sort of opens with exposition and i get it like you're trying to introduce this idea to a bunch of people who most likely didn't play the game like some of the people that played the game is going to be your core audience because people like me are going to go see it out of curiosity but you like it opens and we get like i think there's a voiceover you're getting stuff on the screen that's like here's exactly what like raccoon city is here's like what the t-virus is like here's all like the key points you kind of need to know before we start the movie just so you're not completely lost but i think also if you really like take a step back and you eliminate the exposition out of this film and you sort of allow the story to be told just in what you're showing us, it's like, we'll see the virus outbreak. We'll sort of like understand the the threat posed by the AI and by the zombies. We'll, uh, we'll understand the value of sort of like black market weapons deals and stuff like that. These aren't like concepts that are so foreign that uh, we couldn't get away with it. Uh, but I also understand that, hey, we're, we're making a, a brand new franchise here and we need to sort of like piecemeal it out and spoon feed some of the audience just in case uh, anybody's going to have questions. And, hey, why is this not the game or I played the game and this it doesn't follow that? Like what's happening here? So like I get it to a certain extent, yeah. but just watching it last night, I was like, wow, like there is a lot of just downtime where they're just explaining exactly what's happening to us and i'm like okay you know that's that's a little not what i want from this movie um <laughs> but i wanted to ask you like when you think of this idea like what is scarier for you in this situation the zombies or the ai because you have an active artificial intelligence working the ai yeah, that's the what I AI. saw too this time. Absolutely. I don't know why they decided to go with like the little girl other than it's just like it's creepier, right? Like we want it to be the Red Queen, but oh yeah, the guy who designed it made it look like his daughter. So it's like, yeah, it's extra scary because you have this like little AI child telling you like you're all going to die down here and she's lying to you and she's, <laughs> she's manipulative and it's like, whoa, okay, like you didn't have to do that and uh there was supposed to be the the other AI system, the White Queen, which gets folded in, I think, in one of the other movies, but didn't make the okay. cut here. But yes, I found the AI to be much more frightening because it's sort of like omnipresent. Like the zombies, even though they move fast and they swarm and they're overwhelming in certain situations, you kind of like get accustomed to like how to deal with the zombies. Meanwhile, like you're bargaining with the artificial intelligence. She's lying to you. Mm -hmm. She knows the entire layout of where you're going. And then she has like sort of a, a pettiness to her as well, where we see very early in the film that she she uses uh Halon, which is, I think, an anti uh, fire. Not fire retardant, but uh, it, it puts out fires, right? So rather than a sprinkler system, it's this gas that puts out fires, but you can't breathe it. So they they release Halon into the, the workplace. All these people die. Uh, she drops one of the elevators, you know, really crappy way to go. And then the Red Queen beheads somebody, a little Alice in Wonderland Easter egg there, plus Mila's named Alice in the movie. But yeah, she beheads the poor yeah. lady who tries to escape the elevator as well. And like, that's a pretty gnarly uh, death. And 
It's like she could have just like dropped the whole elevator, but she actually lifted that elevator back up to decapitate this woman. Yeah. So like I'm looking at sort of like the behavior of the AI and it seems to like have a, a little too much fun in the killing of the people because it's one thing to be like, hey, we need to lock this place down. I need to just like kill everybody. So we're going to release a gas into the air system. But to see that hey, she's like, oh, I saw this lady's head pop out. I'm going to cut her head off. Like, that's a pretty, like, mean-spirited thing to do for a, a childlike AI. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the, it's a Megan. It's a, the version of Megan that came before the Megan that we got this year. That's how Megan, you know, was probably thought of because of the Red Queen. <laughs> yeah. We get to the we get to the section where the the queen has done what she's done. The mercenaries are coming into the facility and then they have to enter through like dining hall B. And they're like, OK, we're in the right place. But there's all these canisters filled with the liquors. And so if this is the dining hall, like how did this happen? I mean, I, I know that there was five hours in between when the outbreak happened and when the SEAL team got there. But I'm not understanding how nobody ever stumbled across these giant containers filled with, like, skinless tongue monsters. Like, you have employees. All these things are lined up in the dining hall. Are people not... Mm -hmm. They're just walking by like, oh, well, I guess I can't sit there because there's a giant uh, metal coffin with a creature inside so i'll go to the next dining hall or, or they only had access to dining room a i mean i get that they want that moment where they kind of go in there and they like they built this big set piece and everything like looks very gothic very intimidating there's like fog everywhere like the set piecing i will say in this movie is very good like they the way they designed everything they they shot a lot of it in germany if i'm not mistaken they filmed like in some mm -hmm. uh, underground yeah. uncom incomplete uh train station so what they were able to sort of cultivate definitely feels like industrial and cold and dark and i love that but i'm also like confused as to some of the the logistics in that okay like i get i get the train because the train is basically in all the resident evil games there has to be a train to go from point a to point b at some point but yeah where did all these containers come from and so i guess like in my head before watching this I always was like, oh, there's somebody still in the Umbrella facility right now that is using this as like a testing ground to really see like the effectiveness of the zombies. And that's why all this stuff is set up, because it's one thing to release uh, the virus into the workplace and create a bunch of zombies. But you don't get these other creatures like just accidentally <laughs> uh, as part of the, the virus outbreak. Like these things are very intentional. They're set up in uh these chambers that have you know there's stuff plugged into their brain they're on iv fluids or they're on like some sort of t-virus drip that enhances them so it's like it's it's very different than oh here's a disease outbreak that causes zombies and then here's this thing that we've been working on as like a military application so i don't know if they stumbled across like dining room b on accident or it seems like it was always the way that they were going to go into the facility and if they take the train that everybody else takes to get there then it seems like every employee at some point would walk through this dining hall and just okay yeah. i'm not asking questions about that guy he's got no skin on 
<laughs> well, I think those creatures were like part of the Nemesis program, weren't they? And I think they were kind of just a happens. Like, I think they were created or how the zombies or the virus kind of mutated. And that's where they came from. And that's uh, kind of how Matt gets used for the military, isn't it? How, because he gets put in the Nemesis program and it kind of, like the T-virus bonded with Alice, that virus bonded with Matt and how Matt kind of managed to stay a human as well as monsters, same as Alice. So yeah, I, I find it I find it weird how like it's in a dining hall and it's of all places really to put containers of monsters in a dining hall. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it was a setup from the beginning. Like, because even if there was dining hall A, where all of the employees ate, right next door you've got monster storage. Like, that's not very subtle. Like, I get that. Like, you work underground, everything's all secretive and stuff. But you might as well just have this in some unmarked room on the map. You shouldn't have it in, oh, this is the dining hall. Like, oh, well, okay. But it is <laughs> It is what it is. Yeah. The, the design for the liquors is pretty accurate to the game. So I was excited to see that. Uh, and you even get to see them, like, transition a little bit into something bigger. But they're definitely one of the the creepier things you have to deal with in the game. And they've recently remade Resident Evil 2, which I think was where the liquor was first introduced. And it's like you just hear kind of like the wet pitter-patter of their feet, and it's dark, and you don't know where they are. And sometimes they're on the ceiling, sometimes they're on the wall, and they're blind, so they just kind of like wander around. And when you run into one and you don't have the right gun equipped, it's definitely not fun. And we see uh, what happens when it gets a hold of somebody in this and i think it is spence that is the first victim of it but it is yes yeah so i was like a little surprised that like they rushed to bring the liquors uh like sort of into this story at the time because you do have this story about like the ai and you also have the zombie threat i think like there's more than enough to make it scary without that uh particular creature involved like when the basically the whole team is intact right when we get to the laser grid room which we saw in the trailer and is still one of like the coolest parts of the movie so for the people that are unfamiliar with this like they're trying to get to the red queen's central computer core to shut her down and she has a very intricate defense system and they think they shut it down, but she has a high powered laser grid guarding her, basically her central brain. And they thought they turned it off, but they didn't. And the laser room just proceeds to eliminate like all of the mercenaries and it cuts them down to like two. So we go from a cast of like what, seven, eight, nine people down to three or four really quick. Okay. And it even takes mm -hmm. uh, it beheads the one lady. It cuts off the one guy's fingers first, and then we get the the leader of the SEAL team, and he's the guy who's given us a lot of explanation. He's the boss, uh, so we sort of look at him like he's uh, going to be... It's like the final guy, you know, like the final boy. He's, you think yeah. he's going to, like, you know, go all the way, yeah? yeah. But no, that... he gets yeah. kind of cut up into little sushi fish cubes. 
hey, Colin Salmon does a great job of surviving for as long as he can because we see that the the laser is not going to play nice. It's not going to be like a convenient video game pattern where, oh, it goes low, I jump over, it goes high, I duck, that kind of thing. The The second guy tries to jump and it moves and finds him and cuts him in half and, and it just leaves uh, the leader there by himself and he's getting ready to dodge and then it goes full laser grid, slices him up, like you said, cubes him for a stew. But that 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 use of visual effects, I felt, was probably better than the way that they did almost all of the other CGI in this film. <clears throat> because I, I think watching it then, like, it was good, right? But CGI doesn't always age well. And... I think the more that I've grown to appreciate uh, practical effects in the time between watching this in the early 2000s and now, I think this movie really missed an opportunity to have uh, good use of practical effects because the set piecing is very good, but almost all of the uh, makeup, which isn't makeup for most of it, almost all the zombie stuff is done digitally. So you see like half a face missing, that's like CGI. You see like weird bite marks, like that's CGI. The dogs, they're CGI. Uh, they they even tried to do like some of the dog stuff practically, but I was reading that the dogs kept like eating the stuff that they put on them, so. They did, yeah, they did, yeah. So I just, like the scene where the the lady gets her head lopped off by the elevator right it's like it just cuts to black and then we wake up and it's like oh now we're with alice like what's happened down there has happened and now we're moving on to the next part of the story but you don't really it would have been like such a good moment to like just see her head like come off in that moment and drop because it's like this movie was rated r and it was borderline um nc-17 at one point which i mean there's not so much nudity in this movie that like nc-17 is warranted at all um yeah and most of the violence that's happening is against zombies anyway so it doesn't feel like anywhere close to an nc-17 movie but it actually felt to me much closer to a pg-13 movie than it does an r movie and i just yeah. felt i felt the reason for that probably uh is because of how much cgi is used like there's moments where people get bitten by zombies and stuff, but like we've both seen horror movies. Like, you know, sometimes when you get like hit with a, a weapon or bitten, like you're oozing or spraying blood. So like, there's almost none of that. It's like, Oh, you get bitten. There's a no. little bit of blood on your shoulder. There's like, this person's got blood in their mouth and Oh, there's blood on your head. So it's like, it's not that there's no blood. It's just that the way that the, the VFX were put together didn't really seem to, employ a lot of people to do prosthetics work uh i they even in what i was reading it said that mila jovovich like half of the scars and the little cuts and scrapes she had on hers were just because she was doing all the stunt work just like yeah they barely used any makeup on mila Uh, well yeah she all of her cuts and bruises that she attained to our acting were all of her own The, the makeup effects had to actually cover up the majority of her bruises and cuts because she was just going crazy, like her stunting or acting. She was just like getting hurt throughout the whole movie. So everything you saw in her was actually her own um, wounds, which I found really interesting. 
Hey, good for her. I mean, she she kind of like, I mean, this was what five six years down the line from uh, the Fifth Element, so this was like sort of her transitioning to being uh, an action star, and like part of me is like, hey, I'm happy for her because I like Mila, but also. I feel like she sort of had her career like handicapped by this franchise a little bit in that she's a much better yeah. actress than this role allows her to show. And I'm glad that like she got six movies total out of it to be more of a of a character than we get in this where she doesn't remember who she is for half of this movie. And so when she finally wakes up, it's like, okay, she does some, she does action. The first thing we see her do, she throws like a, a body punch combo on a zombie. She hits him like three, four times in the chest. And then she hits him with the Jean-Claude Van Damme spinning, jumping foot slap kick. I was like, wow, she just, <laughs> even Jean-Claude saves that for like late in the fight. That's like his finishing move. He doesn't just whip that out first thing. So she, she nails that zombie with that kick fairly early on. Uh, so we know that she can fight. and then. She goes for the after they learn that you can kill them by breaking the spinal cord. She does a very risky sort of hurricane Rana move, which in pro wrestling, you you jump and you sort of trap your opponent's head between your thighs. But when you're dealing with a creature that can bite you, giving it access to your your naked thighs is probably not the wisest maneuver, but you know, she snaps its neck really quick. <laughs> and then uh, she goes on to throw like a bunch of, you know, she does some judo. She does some arm breaking. She stomps on some necks and some heads. And it's like about a 10 minute action sequence, but it's, <clears throat> it's uh, maybe 30, 45 minutes into the film when that finally happens. Mm -hmm. So, and then it's like 10 minutes and then they stop and they come back for like another two minutes later. I felt like, what I saw in this movie, even though it's an hour 40, maybe there's only like 15 to 20 minutes of action action. I mean, there's a there's a lot of gunfire. Yeah. There's like some combat and stuff. But for the most part, there's a lot of dialogue in this movie, which is yeah. not something that I necessarily remembered looking back at it. I always thought it was more of an action forward movie. And... Mm -hmm. It's not even so much of a horror movie, I would say. Like, it's listed as a like horror sci-fi thriller, but uh, or horror sci-fi action, which, you know, the horror yeah. elements are there, but it's almost never scary, scary. You're a horror fan, you know. Yeah, well, this came out in 2002, and in 2002, I was eight years old. And I first watched this when I was around that age. Like, I first watched it when I was really young. So watching it at that age, this scary horror element terrified me. Like, this film was probably the first zombie film that I was ever actually oh, afraid wow. of. Um, it really it just kind of, like, stuck with me. Obviously, because a zombie apocalypse could happen. I'm one of those people that <laughs> thinks or knows a zombie apocalypse is going to happen. And this kind of... So when I watched it at that age, it terrified me. But as I'm older now, I see the more sci-fi parts of it, the more action side of it, and a little bit of humor as well, coming from Brain and JD. So yeah, there's quite a mixture in there. Yeah, I could see it being a kid. Like, there's an 
there's an overwhelming zombie presence at some point where it's like if you're claustrophobic that'll definitely get you sort of like the the elevator scene too is like that's uh, that's a horror movie stuff right there that's why i was so disappointed that we kind of like we get that implied to us where it's like you sort of worked us into this area where there's hey an outbreak you see people like dying being captive and then here's you know a group of people that at the time in the film sort of looks like it's going to be like our survivors group at least early on and we're going to see them sort of like maybe picked off one by one because this is before alice is introduced this is before the mercenaries get there and so as they're like trying to escape the elevator it's like okay well maybe they all get out and then they're sort of picked off one by one before we get to the the next events but they sort of just like rush us through that and then that's like sort of like the beginning part is like where like the the horror kind of style ends and then we get into more of like action sci-fi horror at that point and there's there's a lot of like gunplay that comes down the line once the mercenaries get there and you know they don't they don't learn to shoot these things in the head very quickly at all they'll unload an entire magazine into the chest and the legs but you know shoot it in the head and like they didn't come equipped like that's that's i guess ultimately why i was like why did umbrella like not prepare them for what they're getting into they're they're sending them down there to do this one task but they totally have this group unprepared to deal with the outbreak that is there and i know for sure that umbrella knows what's going on because they're umbrella they have to know and they're there at the end when they pop out they're like oh we're just waiting for you and now we got you two as well so (laughs) It's like, don't send these guys in there with these little like submachine guns where they're shooting from the hip and you need to give these guys like real rifles, give them some explosives. None of them have any explosives. I think they they set no. up, they brought a giant EMP charge that carry that needs like three or four people to carry it. So they like I said, completely unprepared. That's Umbrella's fault. That's why I kind of looked at it maybe or I thought of it when I was younger as like, oh, this was all a setup just to test like how effective the liquors are going to be and to test how effective the zombies are going to be like in a combat situation. Oh, yeah. Cause if you're umbrella and you're going to sell this technology eventually to some other country to weaponize it, like you need to have some sort of like test footage to be like, Oh, we sent in a, a special ops team of like eight people all armed with machine guns and none of them made it out alive. Like, that's a good sales pitch if you're selling like a biological weapon. And in the games, you sort of get more of the the intricate details of like, hey, Umbrella really is into like building bioweapons. And that's kind of like what bankrolls the the glowy sunshine white picket fence uh, public image of the company is these backdoor military deals. Um, I just want to quickly go back to the elevator scene. Yeah. There was a bit of trivia that I found. Um, you know, with JD in the elevator, it was originally supposed to be Rain that was supposed to die at that point in the film. Um, but Anderson rewrote it. So Rain was the one that was supposed to be picked off first by the zombies. And JD made it to the end. But they switched it around and JD was the one that was pulled into the elevator. And I'm kind of happy with that rewrite because Rain's character is my favorite in that entire film. Like her attitude and you know, like character is just so much fun to watch. So I'm glad that that rewrote happened. Yeah, it was Michelle Rodriguez almost what her first really like breakout role, right? Mm-hmm. She actually asked her 
um, agent if there was ever a script for Resident Evil that she wanted to be a part of it. So, yeah. And I mean, she is one of the better parts of this film. And like with without her and Mila Jovovich in this film, like if if they were as sort of like B-level actors as the rest of the cast mostly is, this movie would be a, a struggle. Like they do a lot of the heavy lifting of what makes the movie entertaining. So credit to both of them. Uh, and. I mean, not to spoil one of the other movies, but I'm pretty sure Michelle Rodriguez's character comes back in some capacity in one of the other ones. And she's like fully. She comes evil. back in two. She comes back in two other ones. She comes okay. Back in two, yeah. Yeah. So, well, there no, you go. Actually, I think it's. No, I think it's actually the same one, but she plays two different characters. I think I feel like I need to watch all of the Resident Evil movies again just for <laughs> posterity. But I never even watched like Monster Hunter. I did, I did see Ultraviolet. Uh, which was Mila's other action movie that like came in the middle of all this, uh, which I liked a lot uh, mm -hmm. stylistically. And it's, you know, it's kind of like an extension of fifth element type stuff where it's like super colorful. She gets to have a sword and chop people up and hey, it's fun. Good. Time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but since you're mentioning some trivia, do you want to do some trivia right now? It seems like you're prepared. Oh, oh, God. OK, sure. I, I know some stuff I probably won't know what y'all gonna ask me. <laughs> we'll see. I don't I didn't know the answer to the questions that I was gonna ask except for except for one that I took my note personally and turned it into a trivia question. But let's do some uh, trivia. Time for trivia. Okay, so there are there are six films in the Mila Jovovich version of the franchise. And hey, to their credit, they grossed over a billion dollars combined. But including the animated feature films, how many total films exist under the Resident Evil umbrella? <laughs> Pun intended. Um, so there's the six, then there's the Raccoon City, which makes seven. Then there's I only remember one animation, which is called Damnation, I think. And then Oh, I don't know. I was going to take a wild guess and say, like, nine. No. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to say nine. I don't know. The that's answer, guess. that's pretty close. And that's more than enough Resident Evil movies in existence. But there are 11 total. Like you said, there's Resident Evil 1 through 6. You know the reboot, Raccoon City, that came out like a year or two ago. And then the animated ones are Death Island, Vendetta, Damnation, and Degeneration. And there was also a, oddly enough, a movie that was just made of the cutscenes from the video game. Not a real movie, but Resident Evil 4, it's called Biohazard Incubate. And it's all the cutscenes from the Resident Evil 4 game strung together. But I didn't count that one. I just counted the actual feature length animated films and the live I was going to say 11 that's why I said hold on wait I was going to say 11 but then I thought no it's good with you go I think it's I was going to say 11 as well you always go with you go always listen it's a surprising amount of animated Resident Evil movies. I will say that there's also the Resident Evil TV series that was on Netflix last year uh that was it was okay. 
Like it's 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 even less Absolutely. Resident Evil. It's le- it's even less Resident Evil than this movie is if you want to compare it to like the video games. Um so it's even further removed, but it is like technically labeled Resident Evil. There's also a four-part animated mini series that is similar in style to uh, the animated films that focus much more heavily on Leon's character, which is nice since I feel like they've never really yeah. done him justice uh, on the big screen, at least in terms of live action films. Uh, but moving on, yeah. we've got a question number two. This was the second video game film adaptation by director Paul W.S. Anderson. What was the first? Uh, um, I know Doom came out afterwards and Max Payne came out afterwards. And oh, did that come out before? Yeah, Max Payne was after this, I think. Yeah, um, Silent Silent Hill. No, I think that came out afterwards as well. That came out like two thousand and five or something. I don't know. I I'm not. I don't know. I, I I have no guess on that one. The movie is the original Mortal Kombat from nineteen ninety five. Oh yes, yes, it is. Yes, of course. You know when your mind goes blank. Yeah, I've known that one. I love Mortal <laughs> Kombat fatality. So good. yeah, and so that has you know spawned its own new franchise as well. Even though there was, I think, two of those original films. Um, but the third and final question: How long into this movie before we see a zombie? Approximately. Approximately. So, I think the first time. We actually see a zombie is the girl on the the tank when she like her eyes open and she puts her hand on the tank. I think that's the first time we officially see a zombie. I'd say that's probably about thirty minutes into thirty five minutes into the film. That's pretty close. I wrote down forty. But I say 35 is probably oh, pretty close because okay. I was not thinking of that lady. I was thinking of the first time we see uh, like when she, when they kick the canister in the room and then they they light up that one zombie with like 100 rounds. So that was about the 40 minute mark. But well, you, might, wanted... you might be right. Yeah. But still, okay. 35 so, or 40 minutes. Can I get that one? Yeah, I'll give you credit on that one. You get that. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> but I, I will say that like that's a long time to go into a zombie movie without a zombie. Like you're you're pretty deep in. Like you you're already more than a third of the way through the movie, and this is the first time we're actually seeing a zombie. So that's that's a, that's okay. a risky play if you're gonna make a zombie movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, but. Some some additional little like fun bits of trivia that I didn't really like have a way to shape the question around. Um, oddly enough, uh, during an interview in 2020, James Cameron said that this movie is a guilty pleasure of his. So we're not alone. Yeah, we got one of, you know, the most successful directors of all time who says he likes this movie. Uh, so I appreciate I appreciate that, Big Jim. Uh, Mila Jovovich and Mila Jovovich and. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson met on set for this movie 
and they were engaged a year later and they're still married with three kids. That's really sweet. And it's a, a long lasting Hollywood yeah. relationship. Uh, Mila was previously married to Luke Besson, who is the director of Fifth Element. Uh, but they divorced in, uh, I want to say, the late 90s. And then this is, she met uh, Anderson. And, you know, they've been married ever since. So good for them. Uh, Bless them. And uh, so the commandos, when they go into the facility, there's a three-hour timer before the facility, like, locks down once and for all. And that's just a little Easter egg for the video game fans who... In the original game, you got like exclusive uh, unlockable content when you beat the game in under three hours. So like it's like, oh, you beat it in less than six hours, you get this. Then you beat it in less than five, you get this. And so that was kind of like the replayability of those early games was trying to speed run the game as fast as you can to unlock the gun that has auto or uh, yeah. unlimited, unlimited ammo. So you can just unload on all the zombies. I think in one of them, you get a Gatlin gun. So you just carry around a huge Gatlin gun the whole game. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And it's been a while since I've tried to speed run any of those games. But I did it a lot with Resident Evil 2. That's for sure. <laughs> but that concludes trivia. I'm glad that I'm glad that we got to have uh, a couple little like extra tidbits. I might just I might leave that in because it's like I found this interesting, but I couldn't really like make a question out of it. So I wanted to at least include the information in the film there yeah. or, uh, about the film there's, here in the trivia. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cool trivia about Resident Evil though, that I, that's what kind of makes this film a bit more interesting to me of how some things went into the film and the trivia, the trivia I found quite interesting about it so and those are two extra things that i knew about the film i want to ask you in watching this movie last night i felt like the whole thing was almost like a setup for the sequel like it, it feels like very like there is action but it feels like there's just not a ton that actually like happens in this movie like there's the mm -hmm. outbreak the seals come in we get the resolution and then it just sort of ends in a way that leaves it ambiguous and opens it up for a sequel but it's kind of risky to to make your movie end with like a, a sequel opening in mind not knowing if you're gonna really like make enough money to finance a sequel or if there's even going to be any demand for a sequel to begin with and so it like i don't i i was trying to like pin it down because as a fan of the games they're not really like touching on any of like the really fun stuff from the games like wesker's not in this movie uh you don't get to the nemesis program until after this movie uh stars so like chris and claire redfield leon like a lot of the the iconic characters are not involved uh, in this story at all. So you're really sort of just like priming the audience for what potentially this franchise could look like. And like, I don't even know if 
Leon pops up in any of the live action movies uh, before the reboot. I don't know if he's in there. I don't know if Ada is in there, but they add a lot of extra characters in yes, along the way. Yeah, they are. I'll, ha- I'll have to go back and check that out. Um, but we get a guy <laughs> in Matt who he ends up, you know, becoming the nemesis character in the the sequel to this. And what we see sort of happen to him at the end is like, he gets scratched by the, the liquor creature who is sort of like the final boss, I guess it's, yeah. uh, it's the best way I can put it. Like the, the evolved liquor creature that they fight on the train is the, basically like the final boss of this film. Uh, <clears throat> he gets scratched, gets infected and he ends up becoming the the primary antagonist i guess in the next film or at least like the, the primary like creature antagonist in the next film because i think wesker gets introduced in the second film uh as like the the guy pulling all the strings he's <laughs> he's he's the wizard of uh umbrellas oz but this guy like matt he's not a character that's in the games to my recollection uh and he sort of no, serves no. he sort of serves like a weird purpose in this series in that it's his sister that works at uh umbrella right or his sister yeah. she she's there um so i assume she works there but I, she was like a reporter that went undercover because he was a cop and his backstory would get blown so they needed to make sure that the sister was the one who went undercover but his his whole thing is very weird. I feel like you could almost like eliminate his character and still be yeah. basically have the same movie. But he has one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is really just dumb. But uh, it's Spence finally like he's woken up. He's got his memory back and he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm the villain. And he pulls a gun on everybody. And. So this guy, blue collar, he he's standing up on the steps and he like he does that thing where he sort of grabs the handrail and like launches himself over the handrail into the face of the guy with the gun like he's going to do something. And then the gun gets pointed in his face and he just, OK, well, I'm backing down now. It's like, well, why did you, jump, <laughs> yeah. why, did you why did you get all excited and jump over the handrail if you're just going to back down to begin with? What are, what are you doing? Right. Yeah. And then you have Alice who just completely stares down the gun and follows Spence out of the room. Like completely different characters. Matt was just kind of there. But um there was a there was a thing I found thing with Leon's character in the Resident Evil games. Wasn't he a cop? Yeah, so in Resident Evil 2, Leon is like a rookie cop who's transferring to Raccoon City, and then he shows up sort of like as the events of Resident Evil 1 have begun to spill over into the city. So it's like he still doesn't know what's going on, sort of like the world at large doesn't really know what's going on, but he shows up at the police station, and it's like, oh, something bad definitely happened here. And so like he's trying to figure that out while sort of the events of Resident Evil 1 are like still taking place underground. So they they kind of overlap a little bit. But yeah, I guess Matt is like as close as they were going to get to just like putting Leon in the movie outright. Yeah, I think that's what they were trying to do as like a reference to the game or something like Matt's rookie cop like 
Leon was, but like just a different name. You had mentioned also that you like did well, you had mentioned the music, but did you like the music? Because this is Marco Beltrami who fairly, you know, famous film composer. He's done quite a lot, you know, did iRobot, Hellboy, World War Z, just did Renfield uh recently as well. Uh he did all of the Fear Street movies for Netflix. So he's been doing this a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm trying to see what is the famous one that I know him for off the top of my head. I don't know it. So I guess, oh, Snowpiercer. That's another one. The Wolverine. Um, So, but they also brought in Marilyn Manson to work on the music as well. So that's why it has like sort of like this weird, like chaotic nature to it because all of a sudden it's like zombies come out and it's just like sort of like high intensity, like rock and roll, like screamo music. And I don't know, like, I guess that's not what I want from a horror film, but as it's getting into sort of the, the action elements, it is incredibly Mm -hmm. intense. And I mean, Mm -hmm. just to think that you're going to go out and get somebody like Marilyn Manson, who is a world famous musician, and you're going to get Marco Beltrami, who is a famous composer within the industry. And to be able to get the both of them to like come together and work on this and considering that the vast majority of the cast outside of uh, Mila and Michelle Rodriguez are not, I would say, name actors for the most part. I mean, Purefoy. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I mean, he's he's done some things, but a lot of the supporting uh, roles here are like just European actors that were available because they were shooting uh, in Germany. And I mean, Jason Isaacs, who has like the smallest of cameos in this movie, uh, like if you're not paying really close attention, you're not going to notice that it's him because he's even wearing a surgical mask in that scene. So his eyes, his eyes, yeah, eyes give them away for me. He's got very distinct eyes. He does. And I was like, oh, I was like, I didn't even know he was in this movie until just now. Uh, But so, yeah, like he just like showed up and did like a cameo as a favor uh, for Anderson. So just this movie like didn't succeed on its star power. But I believe at the time that it was released, it was the highest grossing video game adaptation Mm -hmm. uh, that existed. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure it had diminishing returns as it went along because it did take six films, but it did get to over a billion dollars collectively as a franchise. And, you know, people still went to see this. And, uh, you know, Anderson stayed making these movies, at least in some capacity uh, for quite some time. I mean, he he wrote this one, directed it, and then it looks Mm -hmm. like he wrote Apocalypse, Extinction, Afterlife retribution and the final chapter so it looks like he wrote all of them um i don't i don't remember if he stayed on to direct all of them or not though uh looks like he i'm not i'm not too sure it looks like he at least directed about four or five of them though so like he was very invested uh you know in the series overall and then by the time we get to like the final chapter this is not a movie that i guess is meant to be like a summer blockbuster in the way that uh we're accustomed to but you know that's a movie that 
he had a 40 million dollar budget for and that still you know internationally grossed 300 million dollars so a lot of that billion came from the final chapter and it didn't even do that well in uh north america to be honest you know it did 26 million but made the vast majority of its money uh overseas so i guess the appeal for resident evil just moved from what was sort of i guess nerdy video game players that love the franchise and sort of like new fans who were willing to entertain something from Anderson to a much more robust global audience than I would have ever expected. Like in in the the most recent one, Raccoon City that came out, like I went to saw to see that in theaters and I was super disappointed by that. I was like, this is even worse than the original Resident Evil movie, which has like nothing to do with the games at all. But to see that Raccoon City is basically based on Resident Evil 1 and 2, the games, and they tried to like keep it in line with the games a little bit more. I was just like, this one isn't even good either. So what are we doing at this point? Like, why reboot the franchise here and not just like do it justice the way that, you know, you wanted to? Because what they did with Alice and Mila and like that whole storyline, like it's its own thing. It's completely outside of the box of what the Resident Evil story and the sort of the mythos of those characters and their journey is and that's totally fine i like that it exists as its own thing because then you as the audience member don't have to be invested in the games you don't have to be connected to the characters in the games or their backstories or anything like that you can just enjoy the property as like a zombie action film with superpowers you know so I, I like that the franchise was able to sort of carve out uh, its own identity and still include some of the characters because, you know, Allie Larder was in it as uh, Claire, but I don't remember like Chris ever being in there, but they bring in Wesker. Chris was in Afterlife. Chris was introduced in Afterlife. Maybe I, I need think. to have like a Resident Evil uh, marathon or something and just just... One by one, just get them all. In. I don't have time to do movie just, marathons, so it's like <laughs> uh, I could maybe do like one a day for like six days or something like that. But I've got other movies that are coming <laughs> up on the horizon. I don't have time to go back and watch all the Resident Evil movies. They even just recently remade Resident Evil 4, which was a masterpiece of a game the year that it got made. But I still haven't even played the remake of that which I've I've heard nothing but good things about. I even got a PlayStation so that I could play it if I wanted to, but just haven't had the time to get into that yet. So (laughs) all in due time. Aye. Uh, Is there anything that at this point in the conversation that you wanted to talk about that we haven't uh, been able to get to yet? Not really. I think we've talked about a lot of it, really. Okay. Uh, Well, there's one thing at the end of the movie that I want to bring up before we go to Critics Corner. And so we we get this scene with Mila and she's very exposed on the table after they've taken uh, Matt away and submitted him to the Nemesis program. And she like wakes up once again, confused, isolated. Uh, She's obviously being experimented on, but, you know, shit has hit the fan outside. But they're is uh like she's locked in a room 
and there's a like a swipe reader like you would swipe a credit card and Mm -hmm. she just takes some bloody needle off of the table that was plugged into her head or her arm or something and she just starts jamming it into the swipe machine until somehow it overloads the machine and unlocks the door and i'm just thinking i'm like of all the ways that she could break out of here like this is really the one they decided to go with is that you jam a needle (laughs) into some magnetic lock and it just happens to bust it open so she can get out i mean look i get that she has to leave this room at some point but if you're gonna have her pick a lock with a needle why don't you just have her pick like a traditional lock at that point i guess i guess you want it to look fancy and it's like ooh, you have to have like a key card in order to swipe this which is very very common in resident evil but you know what so are regular keys like in the in the first resident evil game you got to collect like the spade key the club key the heart key diamond key and all those keys unlock different rooms and You got to like go back and forth all over the mansion to sort of like retrace your steps and find the key that you need to go to the room that you need. And this is very, very common in Resident Evil. So the idea that like introducing some sort of swipe key like makes sense. But I don't know. You see somebody like walking in the background of the laboratory as well. Like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a zombie or if that's like Wesker just observing. You never know because they don't reveal it. But she ends up... uh, stumbling out onto the streets like she's mostly naked she's got a a very strangely shaped hospital gown on that you know i guess it's open on the sides for ventilation uh but (laughs) she she grabs (laughs) she grabs the shotgun and then she's sort of like standing there alone in the street and the reason that i felt i guess that the whole first movie was a setup was because it's like that moment in the movie right there where she gets the shotgun and she's in the street. I'm like, now this is the movie that I want to see. Like her just in the street with the shotgun trying to survive. Like this is what I actually want from this movie. But uh, I don't even think the second movie really like hangs out there too long. It moves through that pretty quick from what I recall, but it's been even longer since I've seen the second one. (laughs) Well, the, the the ending to the first movie had so many alternate endings before it actually fell on that one. So there was going to be an ending such as um, Alice and Matt get taken away by Umbrella and then the White Queen saves them and then they go on the road together. Or there was another ending where Matt corners, sorry, corners Alice in the room and then the screen cuts to black. Um, or there was another ending where her and Matt just fall in love and then they destroy Umbrella and go on the road that way. But Anderson thought that this ending was a lot better as it represents Alice surviving one nightmare only to wake up in another one. But um, it is it is a much better beginning for a film, you know, like the, the whole area deserted. It's like the cars are everywhere, there's rubbish flying around, there's blood on the buildings and smashed windows. Really sets the scene for uh, an actual apocalyptic zombie movie. As in, the movie then is represented as such a simulation, I guess. Like they they went through a simulation or they went through this, this total thing for nothing or like as a kind of staging point. So I, I kind of see how you mean a setup now, but the, the ending 
for it is is cool. I'm glad they went with the ending that they did right up, and not the other ones where like they fall in love and stuff. Because that would just make it a rom a romantic horror, and I'm just I just no, just no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think for me, like in Resident Evil Two. What makes that what made that game so appealing for me is that I liked the first one, but the second one puts you outside in the city a lot more. So like you're seeing like what's happened to the city where in the first one, it's mostly all contained to the mansion. And then once you go uh, below the mansion, but in the second one, like it's much more in the city. I think Resident Evil Zero is also very much like uh, set in sort of the busted down city. There's, you know cars on fire there's roadblocks like you're uh exposed to a lot more zombies at once so it it just gives it a different element than being like within the confines of of the single building and so i think that's why when the ending hits in this one i sort of look at it like oh this is now like this is what i want like just don't stop the movie right now give me like half an hour of her uh fighting her way through town just with no clothes on and a shotgun like that seems like a lot of fun that they didn't quite get to do no no Mila didn't really want to be so um free looking you know like so fair in the movie that's kind of why uh Sarah Michelle Gellar turned down the role of Alice because she wasn't on board with the nudity or the violence which kind of didn't make sense to me because she played Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I think she would have been good enough for Resident Evil. But yeah, it's funny how things work out. Yeah, I think it worked out for the best. And like Mila, she's not afraid to do nudity at all. She's done it in basically every movie she's ever been in that I can think of. <laughs> uh, but also, I understand her like not wanting to roam around the streets of this deserted city with no clothes on. It's like she could have very easily been like, oh, I found a shotgun, but also like, hey, uh, I, I took a trench coat off of like this dead body or like in the back of this car, I just grabbed a jacket or something. So she's not standing there like completely exposed. But I think it is like it, it plays into like the vulnerability of like she's got a shotgun, but she also like doesn't have shoes on. So it's like this. She's still very vulnerable and sort of like delicate and fragile. And at this point in the story, we don't know that she's about to like develop like crazy superpowers and like the next uh, films that come beyond this. So it's it's interesting mm -hmm. to see like the character that we get left with there versus like the character at the end of this story arc uh, that is almost godlike you know at some point and I, yeah. I like i like the curve and i like sort of what they decided to do with alice because it definitely takes it like away from the rest of the connective tissue because i don't i don't even know if they're in raccoon city anymore after uh the first one so it's like it just it, it, it has its own wings and i like that about it but i know that uh you have like franchise rankings for things so i'm curious do you have like a, a franchise ranking for resident evil because there's I six, think there's I six do. movies i think i do i'm just gonna see on my letterbox it's gonna see on my letterbox to see if see if um i did even even so i know exactly how i would rank them anyway even if it wasn't even on here
There we go. Save this. Do it above here. Yeah, I think all these, all the movies give different, like, different vibes. So it'd be funny to see how. No, I don't have a list actually. I haven't made one yet, but I know exactly how I would rank them. So first, obviously, would be Resident Evil because the first one is just how it all started. It's just like my go-to probably comfort action zombie film. Second, I would put Afterlife because the opening sequence to that one is just fantastic. Um, after that, I would put Extinction because I just like how um, Alice's powers are more kind of brought to the surface in that one. I think after that one, I would put Apocalypse because I the ending to that one's very satisfying to me. Very satisfying. And then I'd put Retribution next and then the final chapter last. Okay. So that's one. That would be my ranking. One, four, three, two, five, six. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Uh, yeah, I don't have a ranking because I haven't seen I, <laughs> I haven't seen all of them in a long time, but I'm pretty sure that I just was like, even though I'm not as interested in like Resident Evil four five and six, I'm like, I have to see it because, you know, I have to. Uh, so I feel like I want to go back yeah. and watch them, though. But I feel like now is a good time to to go to Critics Corner and we'll get to read the terrible, terrible things that the critics said about this movie and uh we're gonna start with salon magazine that's stephanie zacharek she gave it a 10 out of 100 and she says mildly grisly assaultively noisy and tremendously boring so i mean it is mildly grisly that's true it is very noisy but I don't think it's boring. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was still able to watch no. it and have a good time watching it, even though uh, I would say that sort of like the the me in my like high school years and right after that. So when I'm like 18, 19, that version of me that really liked this movie a lot, I would say that I would probably not rate the movie as highly as I would have then. But I still was able to enjoy it and have a good time. So I don't think boring is the right way to go with this one. But as we talked about, there is a lot of talking and it's like there's some really big action sequences, but they're kind of short. It's like 10 minutes, five minutes, two minutes. So in an in a movie that's an hour 40, you have like realistically, what, 20 minutes of action in that. And it's all kind of like condensed. So it's not it's not spread out over the course of the film. So. Okay, maybe I could see what she's saying a little bit, but 10 still seems really, really low, Stephanie. Yeah, very low. Now we get to go to Roger Ebert. Chicago Sun-Times, he gave it a 25 out of 100. So that's on his scale, that's one one star out of four. Uh, He said, this movie is Dawn of the Dead, crossed with John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, with zombies not as ghoulish as the first and trains not as big as the second. The movie does, however, have Mila Jovovich and Michelle Rodriguez. So, like he said, without the two of them, uh, this movie really like would suffer a lot more, I think. But he's saying like, hey, it's a cross of Dawn of the Dead and John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Like, yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. That's why I saw this movie yes. in the first place. And like Ghost of Mars is one of those movies that even though it's bad, uh, 
definitely a guilty pleasure type of movie that could be on <laughs> a future episode of this show for sure. I mean, Ice Cube in <laughs> space, like, of course. Absolutely. Okay, so we got, let's see, two 30s. Uh, we'll go to a 38. That's kind of in the high end of the low spectrum. And that's uh, the Globe and Mail in Toronto. That's Rick Groin. He says, while computer games can boast an abundance of nifty graphics and odious villains and plucky protagonists on long journeys, they're invariably a tad wanting in the cinematic essentials. You know, stuff like plot and characterization and theme. I don't think he's necessarily wrong about that, but no, like I sort of what we talked about with like the the refusal to just adapt the video game as is like the games are very cinematic and sure it's like yeah a lot of it is like you, you work hard through the game like you're playing through and then you get to a certain point where it cuts to like a cgi little movie the little cutscene, and that that's where you get some of like the character building the, the dialogue the essentials of like the story that you're playing so it's like you're really like racing from cutscene to cutscene to get the story which is probably why that one version of the movie quote unquote exists where they just strung all the cutscenes together uh yeah but i think over the course of the video game like you're you're feeling the environment more so you're getting much more of like an immersive experience in the world than you would by watching this movie but you know there there is a plot there, there, it is a little light on characterization and theme, but really, there's only like three characters that matter. It's the guy who's the bad guy, Spence, uh, Mila, and Michelle Alice. Rodriguez. Yeah, like the three of them are the only yeah. ones that really have to have characters because they're doing all the heavy lifting. <laughs> like, here's the one you cheer for. Here's the yeah. sort of like bad guy who you also cheer for in Michelle Rodriguez. And then here's like the bad guy that you don't like because he's a prick. Yeah, I, I don't get sometimes why they stray away from source material, especially if you're adapting from like a book or a movie, uh, a game into a movie. The source material is already there to help you and guide you. Use that and maybe expand on it or maybe, you know, cut something out, change change something minor or to make it your own. But to stray away from it completely, it's a very risky take. It is, but I still think that uh, the comparison, like he's saying that like while computer games can like have the nifty graphics and all these things that are uh, part of the game, those things like don't translate into the cinematic essentials. And like to me, this is spoken like somebody who has not actually played the Resident Evil games, because if you did, you would realize mm -hmm. that the games do have a very strong cinematic core, and that's what makes them appealing. So the idea that like to just like <laughs> brush it off that way is kind of like, OK, you don't know what you're talking about, Rick, but it is it is what it is. Sorry, Rick, uh, but you are you are incorrect. Go play some Resident Evil, bro. Um, we've got let's see. USA Today, Austin Chronicle. I like the Austin Chronicle one. Mark Savlov. This is a 50 out of 100, so still not glowing, but what he has to say is nice. He says, is this the future of horror or just some bizarre fluke? Don't ask me. I'm having too much fun to care. 
which is crazy. How can you have so much fun that you don't care, but you're also like, meh, I'm going to give this a 50 out of 100. Like, this was so much fun, I gave it a 5 out of 10. Like, that makes no sense to me. <laughs> like, if you have so much fun at a movie, why would you ever come out after that and be just like, yeah, that movie was uh, mediocre. Like, you're having fun. Just enjoy the having fun part. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, let's see, we'll go to Baltimore Sun, which is the highest review on the board. That's a 63 out of 100. That's Chris uh, Kaltenbach from the Baltimore Sun. He says, about as good as the genre gets. And I don't know what genre he's talking about, but if he's talking about video game adaptation genre, then... He might be right, because at the time that this movie came out, you know, there wasn't a ton of video game adaptations before this. It was like there was Mortal Kombat. There was Street Fighter. There was like Super Mario Brothers, which is definitely a bad movies. We love kind of movie. Uh, there was Double Dragon, which, oh, that's not good either. But uh, yeah, so I guess in terms of like adapting a real like video game property to live action cinema at this point in history, this probably is about as yeah. good as it gets. And he gave it a hey, 63. Yeah. That's, that's pretty close to like what the user score is at 6.6. .6, so I'm happy with that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, that's good. Considering that Resident Evil actually paved the way, not, well, not, not paved the way as such, but kind of capitalized on the idea of making Doom and Silent Hill and Max Payne. It, it's kind of what ignited the idea for to make those movies so without Resident Evil we might not actually have those other ones so yeah like this this proved that you could not just adapt a video game but you could stray away from the source material and sort of still have uh, a little bit of wiggle room because this one like you know it yeah. cost it cost 33 million which is kind of a lot for an unproven product at the time and mm -hmm. it did okay in the U.S. It made its money back. But again, this was one where it made a lot of its money uh, back overseas. And I think that's probably because of the strength of the game, like this is coming from Capcom, which is a, a Japanese company. And I heard that both uh, the heads of what is it, Capcom and Sony at the time had yeah. cameos as zombies in this movie, which um, is, I mean, yes, that's, that's pretty cool. Just not just that they're there, but the fact that like those two people would want to get involved and be like oh yeah put me in zombie makeup and let me be in this movie that's that's pretty <laughs> cool yeah it is we've we've reached basically the end of the show uh is there anything else that you wanted to add that we maybe didn't uh get a chance to i know we have covered a lot i know i asked you that question already before we got to the critics <laughs> corner section but did any of that spark anything else uh in your mind that you wanted to bring up before we uh put a close on this one not nothing major but just the fact that um anderson wanted to make alice uh, a damsel in distress in this movie there was a there was a part that I read when I researched some of the trivia or some of the movie of that he actually wanted to make her a damsel in distress but she argued against that I wanted to make her character more actiony and more you know head on like she could you know take care of herself and I think that kind of contributes to how her character stands out which then makes this movie stand out if they put her as a damsel it just would have kind of messed with the story it wouldn't have worked in my opinion. So 
but that's just one thing I kind of wanted to uh, bring up because I think that element is something that's key to the film. If that was how it went, it would have been a completely different story. Yeah, and I don't know that you actually get any sequels out of it that way because she just has to be rescued and she's not the sort of action star that she is. I think, you know, it's capitalizing on the fact that she was able to be this sort of character in uh, The Fifth Element. And I'm glad that Mila like stood up for that idea and was like, no, we can't have her just being like rescued all the time. Like this, this mm -hmm. franchise itself too has like strong female leads in Jill Valentine, Claire Redfield, Ada Wong. I mean, there's a lot of strong females that are action oriented and are the heroes in this series. So yeah, to reduce her mm -hmm. to just uh, the sort of damsel and, well, I guess Matt would have been the hero in that case, but I mean, thankfully he's not because I mean, I don't want to, like, <laughs> I don't want to like, you know, dunk on kick a guy while he's down or anything, but like, he just doesn't have the charisma to carry the movie in that way. Eric Mabius, no, no, no offense, Eric Mabius, but uh, there's a reason that Mila <laughs> Jovovich is a movie star and you are not. And it's not a personal attack on you, but she has the it factor. And I think it was wise to uh, make the investment in her and let her sort of like guide where the character is going to go, because, you know, she sustained this franchise for six films and it grossed a billion dollars. So, I mean, I'm sure she was collecting like yeah. fairly decent paychecks and like I was telling Kristen last night, I was like, I really wish she would have been able to like do some more different kind of character work because she did like uh, the fourth kind, which she was good in yeah. uh, a perfect getaway, which I love and I think is like super underrated in her catalog. As that's well. on my watch list. That's, that's on my that's, watch list. I haven't seen it yet. That's a good one. Um, But yeah, she just didn't like get to do too much of that because she was doing a lot of this and then by the time that the resident evil series sort of like dried up it's like now she isn't left with uh, as much availability because you know she's when this let's see 20 the 2016 was the last resident evils that's 2016 started in 2002 mm -hmm. she's 15 years older than when she started doing the original set of movies so you know she she does have a lot of like smaller roles and like Three Musketeers, and uh, she was in Zoolander too, and uh, mm. she like she guessed it on Robot Chicken, and uh, she was in Hellboy, the remake, which I has have still not seen, but um, Monster Hunter to me is the one that I looked at and was like, this is basically Resident Evil again, just with monsters instead of zombies, <laughs> and I still haven't seen it, but it is directed by Paul W S Anderson, uh, and it stars Mila Jovovich. Yeah, so that's one that's been on my watch list for a while. Plus, it has Tony John, Ron Perlman, which I've, you know, been fans of theirs for a long time, too. So I get Hellboy, I get Ongbok, I get Mila, all rolled into one. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that, but I still have yet to see it. It's a good one. I've seen it. I think you'll enjoy it. Oh, so, yes, the last question. I don't know if this was going to be the answer, but so for people that have maybe never seen Resident Evil, uh, or people that have seen Resident Evil and like it and are looking for similar films, what's a good uh, comparison film that you would offer up? Mm. Honestly, I'd say Doom with um, Carl Urban and Wayne Rock Johnson. 
instantly I just think of Doom because it's it's kind of futuristic like that one. It's kind of like the same monsters are uh, gunfighting. There's a lot of like action in it and scientists and labs. You know, it's kind of like mimics the essence is there. So I'd say Doom, and also Doom is a guilty pleasure for me. I I love that film, so definitely yeah. recommend that one. Uh, that that's a really good one because tonally like the way that the movie is sort of like structured and sort of like the feel of it, it's very much in the same wheelhouse. Like it yeah. is sort of horror, but it's more action sci-fi oriented. You do get the big team of guys that come in and get in over their head and get picked off one by one. But yeah, you also get Rosamund Pike in this one. So you have a really good cast. Um, but Doom is definitely in the same wheelhouse and probably would end up on this show at some point as well. But uh, because it was mentioned in one of those earlier reviews, I think Ghost of Mars is also a good sort of like gateway drug if you want to get into Resident Evil or yeah. if you've never seen Ghost of Mars, but you like Resident Evil, it's it's uh, it's worth giving Ghost of Mars a shot. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you, Shauna. I appreciate you uh, working with me. I know I was running a little bit behind on time as uh, I sorted out our air conditioning issues and uh Say goodbye to Kristen as she has gone to work at uh, Grandpa's house today where there is air conditioning. So uh, <laughs> thank you so much for bringing this movie to the table. I had a lot of fun getting to sit down and watch it again last night. It has been uh, many, many years. And thank you for your time and always your patience and your joy and your energy. It's always much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. I've had a great time talking about this movie. It's always a it's always an honor to sit down and talk film with you, Nick. And I know that uh, you've got some projects going on as well. I'm going to put, of course, the links up in the show notes. But do you want to tell anybody that's going to listen to this show about where they can find your uh, movie content? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Cinema of Screams. I post all about everything about movies, trivia, screen caps, you name it. And I also do plenty of reviews and lists about movies on YouTube. It's sparky about movies. You heard it here, folks. Uh, Shauna's always doing something interesting on YouTube. She's got to be my YouTube guru when I eventually decide <laughs> to pull the trigger and start putting things on YouTube, which I'll get there eventually, but We've got some other stuff to attend to first. Uh, I've got another sh another episode in the can that I just started editing yesterday that I've got to get up for tomorrow. Uh, I'm going to try and see a movie today if possible, but I don't know if the timing is going to work out with this air conditioning repair guy. Uh, got, a, got a lot of plates spinning. So um, again, I appreciate your time as always. Please have a good night. Thanks again to Shauna for taking the time to chat Resident Evil with me. You can find her at Cinema of Screams on Twitter and Sparky About Movies on YouTube. The links for that will be up in the show notes. And of course, thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this episode. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, and I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you do, please consider leaving a rating and telling a friend about it. I'd love to hear from you, so if you have a bad movie you love and or maybe would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact me now at badmovieswelove at thescheiss.com or badmovieswelove on Twitter and Instagram, and that's love with an L-U-V. And as always, take care, be well, stay safe, and have fun however you get your movies. <laughs>